Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hand, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, For behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. The word of the Lord. Well, welcome to the painted door. Uh, my name is Mark. If you are new, it is good to be back with you all. Seems like we have a working microphone, which is wonderful. Praise be to God. Uh, I was not here last week. I heard good reports from a number of you that you had a beautiful time of worship together. Acacia and I were off gallivanting in New York City for a number of days. Uh, we actually spent four days in New York Uh, attending the 10-year anniversary conference of a ministry called Mockingbird, which is a blog-slash-podcast-hub-slash-publishing house that puts out great material. Think NPR for Jesus lovers is sort of the Mockingbird vibe. Uh, And so if you're not familiar with it, I commend it to you mbird.com. We were there actually with a number of other uh, Painador folks and uh, got to experience really a great conference. They put on a great conference for us. It was hosted at Calvary St. George's Episcopalian Church in Manhattan, just a little bit north of the East Village. Uh, So a great location for a conference, unlike Orlando or Houston or some other kind of place where conferences typically take place. Uh, this was somewhere nice, and um, <clears throat> and the building was beautiful, historic old church building, uh, and so it was something pretty special actually to go to breakout sessions at a church conference in places like the crypt down in the basement of this old 100-plus-year-old church building or the 10-story atrium chapel that was just next door to the sanctuary uh, and of course, the content of the conference was wonderful as well, the highlight, uh, no doubt. 
Um, there were sessions on Jesus and therapy. Uh, there was a session on the long-standing collision between psychology and theology that was co-taught by a psychologist and a theologian. Fascinating. Um, there was a session taught by a writer from The Guardian. Uh, I believe his name is Berkman. Uh, and just thinking about the gospel in the way that someone from across the pond thinks about the gospel uh, actually sheds new light on it for us here on uh, the state side of the Atlantic. Uh, so many sessions that offered the gospel to us in rich and compelling ways. The highlight content-wise of the conference was on Friday night when Fleming Rutledge, an Episcopalian priest, uh, preached out of the passage in Luke on the Emmaus Road encounter with the risen Christ. And she gave us Christ in a way that was fresh and alive, like his person was bursting right out of her right there in front of us. Uh, and she lit the room on fire, the hearts of the people listening burned, at least this one did. Um, and then after that exhilarating experience of being served Christ, we moved on to the exhilarating experience of a barbacoa brisket dinner, uh, followed by a very strange experience, something known as Episco Disco, <laughs> which I was <laughs> to that point unfamiliar with. And was fairly concerned as it began to ramp up because the wine from dinner, which was wonderful Spanish wine, had pretty much run out. And the age of this conference was over 40, primarily. Uh, and so I was worried that the Episco might outweigh the Disco. Um, but then, like knights in shining armor, some of the wait staff rode in from all angles. It was like they came from nowhere. And they had cases of Bud Light on both shoulders in the basement of this old Episcopalian church in Manhattan. And they dropped it right in the crypt, and we ripped them open, and the disco lights went on, and the music cranked up. And I'm here to testify, those Episcos, they got into some serious discos. Let me tell you what, it was all right. Um... And uh, yeah, so really we had a wonderful time together. It was a great uh, conference and feeling stirred and refreshed from it in many ways. But there was another narrative arc that took place over the course of the time in New York for my wife and I specifically uh, that I want to speak to. And that really has more to do with what I want to talk to all of you about today. And let me just say at the outset of sharing this bit of personal anecdote and narrative that God's weird. God is um, quirky, maybe, even. Um, he is not anything like we would expect him to be. God is not at all the projection of our best thoughts about ourselves into the sky. That's kind of what we generally think. That's how we conceive of God. And he's completely different than that. 
he goes about doing his business and working out his plans in surprising and painful and awkward ways. So the journey to New York City (laughs) for my wife and I actually began in December when I told her to not buy me a Christmas gift because I wanted to get a Christmas gift for the both of us, a surprise gift for the both of us. And what I got was this trip to New York. I bought the plane tickets. I bought an Airbnb stay on the Upper West Side, a little studio apartment there. And I bought the tickets to this conference. And from the moment that that gift was given, which just so happened to be two weeks prior to Christmas, because stinking Expedia sent my wife a confirmation email, even though I explicitly removed her email address from the Expedia website. In any event, uh, from the moment that this gift was given, the expectations of what the trip would be between my wife and I began to diverge, unbeknownst to both of us. <laughs> uh, we both began to craft in our minds what it was that we wanted out of these four days in New York City. And leading up to this and thereafter, really throughout December January and February, the entirety of the winter, uh, we'd had a fairly emotionally trying time in our home. There'd been a lot of transition here at the church. We were trying to move into this new space. There'd been some relational challenges that my family was going through. And so we were both looking forward to this New York City trip as an oasis of refreshment. If we could just make it to late April, then all will be well. And so as we're concocting that oasis, we're made differently. And so we concoct it in different form, in different shape. But there was enough overlap between the way that we were dreaming about New York that we didn't notice that we were building it differently. So I was thinking in my mind, we are going to the definition of heaven, a.k.a. we're going to swim in a fishbowl of ideas for four days, right? <clears throat> We're going to just be showered with new ideas from these great and compelling conference speakers. And yeah, I mean, we might like go out to dinner or something <clears throat> um, in the margins. <laughs> um, and my wife was thinking we are going to go swim in the glorious culture of the Upper West Side, and maybe we'll take in a conference session here or there. You know? um, so I was very much thinking we're going to major in conference and minor in New York play. And Acacia was thinking we're going to major in New York play and minor in conference. But that difference is subtle enough that all of our talking and expecting and planning prior to this trip to New York didn't bring the divergence to four. We had no idea. And so like two blind mice wandering into the danger of a trap, we made our way to New York City a week and a half ago with no idea what lay before us relationally. 
Uh, and as soon as we arrived in our little quaint studio apartment on the Upper West Side, um, which incidentally I think is now illegal to do through Airbnb, first case in point being there was a sign when we arrived that said, don't tell the neighbors you're here via Airbnb. <laughs> I'm like, All right, fair enough. <laughs> um, but there we were, and the moment we got there, I got into full conference mode. I got out the laptop and started researching all of the breakout sessions and Googling all of the names of the speakers and looking at their latest projects and their latest work and filling myself with expectation of what it was going to be. And I was sharing all of this amazing information that I was collecting into the ether of our Upper West Side studio apartment, completely oblivious to the fact that my wife was not paying attention to this wonderful information that I was spouting into the air. Uh, And even more oblivious when she casually suggested with a glint in her eye, why don't we skip this first night and go out? Uh, To which I quickly responded, oh, no, no, we can't miss opening night. This is kickoff, right? we got to go. And she dutifully went along. Uh, And so we made our way to the conference, and it was a great opening night, and we had a good dinner, and we had time with friends, and it was really wonderful. And my wife had a good time, and I had a good time. And the next day, Friday, we were up bright and early, 8.30 a.m., back at the conference. We were there all the way through the entirety of the day, all the way through the amazing speech from, or preaching from Fleming Rutledge, and then the wonderful Episco Disco that followed. We were there past the 10 o'clock hour into the evening, uh, and then made our way back to our apartment. And then got up on Saturday with the intention of spending another half day at the conference before we finished our time in New York and flew back home on Sunday afternoon. Uh, But on Saturday morning, something happened. I got up early to shower and get dressed, and I reached down to pick up a shirt and my back went out. Now, when I say that my back went out, I don't mean that I hurt my back. I mean my back went out. Crippling pain that first dropped me to a knee. I yelled out loud enough that I'm sure I provided an alarm clock for everyone in the building and probably some problems for our illegally run Airbnb hostess. Uh, I woke my wife up, and then I crumpled to the floor I could not move. I was completely immobilized in pain. And I knew immediately that fishbowl conference time was over. uh, And likely that play time in New York was over. And that we were now going to be stuck there in this little studio apartment on the Upper West Side for the remainder of our time, that entire Saturday at least, It was an 80-degree day in New York City. Our four children were over 800 miles away, and I was in agonizing pain. Uh, And Acacia sprang into full nurse mode and went out to the local pharmacy and picked up a back brace and some ibuprofen and an ice pack. And when uh, I was sufficiently soothed to be able to have a conversation, we started to talk. And it wasn't too long into that conversation to where I asked her, 
why have you been sort of half present heretofore during our time in New York? I noticed it, started to notice it on Saturday. It wasn't that she was having a miserable time. She wasn't having a miserable time. She enjoying the conference, sure. But I could tell that our conversations just didn't have the kind of zing that they do when we're in full alignment. Uh, and it was easy for me to sort of push that off to the side and maybe just surmise that I was noticing something that wasn't true when there was still more conference material for me to lap up. Uh, but once that ran out, uh, it became clear to me that this was something I needed to ask her, and so I did. And that took us into one of those very dangerous spousal conversations of divergent expectations. Not sure if you're familiar with those yet. Um, If you are married and you are out of the honeymoon phase, which, by the way, the honeymoon phase can last up to seven years, FYI. But if you are married and you are out of the honeymoon phase, then you are familiar with the danger of these kinds of spousal conversations and just how many wrong turns you can take in them. Now, thankfully, Acacia and I have been married almost 14 years. So we can generally see those wrong turns coming, generally. (laughs) And we typically know that they are dead ends. If you've been married for a while, you are familiar, certainly, with some of these dead ends. It's actually very helpful to have gone all the way to the end of a lot of these wrong turns and found yourself completely stuck there on repeated occasions until your stubborn, stinking mind gets it through its head that that is, in fact, a dead end. So let me just list a couple of these dead ends that you might be able to relate to. There's the, I think I can come out looking like the victim dead end. Just a few people getting some therapy this morning. There's the, I'm innocent because I'm oblivious dead end. No? Okay. No, no, no. Okay, that's just me. Um, There's the, I've been trying to be the bigger person all along dead end. These are some of the dead ends. There are many more, countless more. The human mind is rather creative when it comes to our own vindication. But the way that you can smell them is any bit of conversation that you introduce that has as its goal even the smallest smidgen of your own vindication in mind is a complete and utter waste of time. In fact, it's the beginning of the road to divorce. And there will have to be a massive course correction to rescue the marriage at some point, whether through your own volition or some grand intervention by God. But if you're willing to go into these conversations without victory in mind, which no one is naturally, you have to be beaten into submission to get to that place. If you're willing to go in without victory in mind, there can be something very sweet that emerges out of these types of dangerous conversations. 
And that is that you can actually come to a place where you see each other again. Or maybe even where you see each other more than you ever have. And in seeing each other, perhaps see yourself as well. There's an end to these conversations that can be something called intimacy. It's nakedness. It's vulnerability. It's very dangerous. It's very scary. When you're naked, there's no defenses, not even thin cotton. There's a lot of opportunity for hurt there. But that actually is what marriage has to offer us. That's the best and sweetest and richest thing about marriage is being naked in front of each other. Well, after five hours of a conversation like that, um, albeit with some pretty significant pain mixed into it, Acacia finally asked me, so what has been actually your best part of this whole trip? What's been your favorite part of this whole trip? Uh, And I knew instantly, better than Fleming Rutledge, better than a Pisco Disco, (laughs) this conversation right here, and where we've gotten on account of this conversation, gotten back into knowledge of one another, back into marriage, back into intimacy with one another. Now, I want you to see the absurdity of what I'm saying, the absurdity of that moment. If you haven't already, perhaps you have. Um, Because our trip had gone horribly wrong, of course. My back had completely failed us. And we had no more of either of our expectations of Oasis in front of us. There was no more conference, no more New York play. There was only life on the floor, literally. That's where we were. She was sitting, I was lying down. And yet, somehow that was God's grace to us. That was exactly what we needed at that exact moment to be rescued out of the folly that we were stuck in. All of the threat and danger of those conversations of unmet expectations, all the power that those conversations have to divide people and to divide us was being undone. And it was undone over the course of that morning and afternoon. Psalm 92, which we read just a moment ago in its entirety, is a psalm for Sabbath. That is to say, it's a psalm to sing or to read or to pray in times when you are at rest. It's a psalm for trips to New York City with your wife or your husband, depending on your situation or a friend, or whatever it is that you find an oasis of rest. And the psalm starts this way. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, 
to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. At 4 p.m. on that Saturday, we finally got it into our minds that it would be a good idea to go into an urgent care clinic, a walk-in clinic there in New York City. There's actually dozens of them all around in New York City taking care of tourists like me who've thrown their backs out or have flu-like symptoms, etc. And so we had to make our way about a block down the street to get to one of these urgent care clinics. And that journey from the floor of our first floor apartment to the urgent care clinic, I can say without equivocation, it was the most painful 45 minutes of my life. Um, I told my kids this when I got home. I cannot remember at any point in my life crying from physical pain. I'm sure I did as a small child, but it was pre-memory. I'm not a non-crier. I cry when I get sad or depressed or sometimes when I preach or whatever, as you know. Um, but from physical pain, I have not cried in my adult life or my remembered life. I was sobbing as I got up off the floor. The pain was so overwhelmingly crippling. I can't even explain it to you. I feel like I have new empathy for childbirth, quite frankly. Um, perhaps. Some of you ladies might push back, <laughs> but I think maybe, I think maybe I know. Um, and I had to use every last ounce of willpower to make it. Uh, and when I got in the door of the urgent care clinic, they could tell the situation that I was in, and they got me right in and gave me a shot of anti-inflammatory medication and some Valium. What does Psalm 92 say? I sing for joy. <laughs> um, and within the span of about an hour after getting that treatment, I was feeling much better. I mean, the pain probably reduced by 50% uh, pretty quickly, uh, such that by 8 p.m. that night, within four hours of getting that treatment, I was actually able to waddle <laughs> down the street one block uh, with my hands on my wife's shoulders for support, Thankfully, in New York, nobody cares. Nobody even <laughs> notices. They're like, that's the most normal thing I've ever seen. Um, and we made it out for some really great shawarma uh, and then just a few doors down to a wine and coffee bar where my wife had wine to try and catch up with the many Valium that I had taken at that point. Um, and we had, a, we had a little bit of dessert. Psalm 92, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. The ways of God are upside down. And sprouting like grass... It's really overrated. The truest riches of what God has for us in this life that he's given us, in this life that he's sharing with us, they don't come on account of 
what we can manufacture. There are many people, many people in this room, even, who are very good at life. You're very good at making money or climbing ladders, whether they be social ladders or educational ladders, financial ladders, getting ahead in your career, whatever it is. And what's the point of all that? Where are the treasures in that? Where's the riches and bounty in any of that? There are riches and treasures to be had in life that can only be supernaturally given by God and they cannot be given in a way that can be arrived at by formula. I mean, think of it. If you tried to reverse engineer the marital intimacy and richness and sweetness that my wife and I experienced on Saturday afternoon and evening, how absurd would that be? If you tried to manufacture that true few hours of marriage, I mean, for one, you would need at first to have a weakened back. So I guess I would recommend going to a high school with an overzealous weight training coach trying to live out his failed football dreams through a large Irish kid who walked through the door and he told, you can be the strongest kid this high school has ever seen. (laughs) And by my sophomore year, he had 485 pounds on my back as I tried to break the high school squat record. That was the first time that I crippled and fell to the ground in excruciating back pain as a 15-year-old kid. And my vertebrae have never been the same, by the way. So that'd be step one in the attempt to reverse engineer the marital bliss that my wife and I enjoyed. Much later, years later, you'd have to organize a trip with your spouse to New York City wherein there were sufficient divergent expectations to set the trap, but they'd have to be subtle enough for you to not see it coming. You following? Now, if you're able to pull all that off, there's still the bit of having to be at the place as a couple where you're willing to go into dangerous conversations and have enough acumen and history together to know how to avoid the dead ends. And to reverse engineer all of that, there are many, many more stories that I would have to share with you. Those are stories for another day. But let me assure you that none of those stories include formulas. None of those stories include anything good that Acacia or I brought to the table. And all of those stories include awkward pain and failure. So that's the recipe. (laughs) Marital bliss lies ahead. The truest and sweetest riches that we can have in our lives, we cannot manufacture. They must be given. And they're given in the most surprising of ways. All we can build is the mere appearance of flourishing. That's all we can do with the strength of our hands, with our action plans. God has to lead his people into true flourishing. That's just another way of saying that you can't build a great marriage. 
You can't build true friendships. You can't build a deep church. It all has to be given. You have to be led into it all. There's no formula to get you there. So you could try to follow all those steps that I've just outlined, the absurdity of that, or some other marriage guru's steps and plans for action, some other win-at-life specialist who could tell you how to make it all happen, some other career coach who could lead you into green pastures and beside still waters. Or you could trust that the same God who led Jesus from a birth in a manger to being a refugee as a child to growing up in a poor and disgraced family to getting involved with the wrong crowd, prostitutes, drunks, and cheaters, to befriending people who were no good friends at all and betrayed him and abandoned him in his moment of greatest need, to being falsely accused and falsely tried and falsely convicted and crucified in the most shameful of ways, to being buried in a tomb, to being resurrected in triumphant victory, to ascending into the heavens and reigning forever. You could trust that God. That he is the storyteller of our lives. And he's the one who leads us into what is rich and sweet and worthwhile. And that he's a God who doesn't fail. That he's a God who is good to his word. That he's a God who means what he says when he promises to take his people there. Psalm 92 concludes, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. We worship a victorious God who tells stories of victory across the lives of his people, and he's a God who can be trusted. He's a God who's already telling that story for you. It may not seem like the sort of victory that you have in mind. It may not come with a bow on top. It might come with pain and a crippled back. But everything in this broken down and failing world is pregnant with the resurrection of Jesus. And the birth pangs have already begun. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises and for your gifts and for Jesus. We thank you for his life for his death and for his resurrection and for his triumphant reign. We thank you for the treasures that we are surprised by and the green pastures and the still waters that meet us 
when we aren't even looking for them? Would you grant us faith as a church to remind each other of these things so that we are, when we are in the middle of our varied stories, we don't lose heart, but we keep looking and expecting and trusting what you have said. Amen.